This podcast may contain explicit language. This is the Dynasty Download Podcast. Welcome to the Dynasty Download, the show where we prove Dynasty League fantasy is the best form there is. I'm Tom Duncan. 2018 champ, last time saying it, I guess, Ethan Hamilton. Oh, thank the Lord that it's only <laughs> that. Yes, and still only 2018 champ. Still and only. tonight we are looking back on a successful fantasy season for 2020. There were a lot of cheers and tears, but we're here now. But before we get to that, a few housekeeping notes. If you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at DynastyDownload10 at gmail.com. Again, that's DynastyDownload10 at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like to be on our mailing list this year or going forward, please contact us there, especially as we head into the offseason. This is where we separate ourselves as a show and a league format. You're not going to get better NFL offseason or draft coverage, either the NFL or rookie draft, than right here. Also... We apologize that we aren't doing much to look ahead to Week 17 as most championships are finished after Week 16, but we do have a few notes for you at the end of the show, so you'll want to stick around for that. With that, the Ring Dynasty League has a new champion. Let's welcome to the program, now four-time Dynasty League champion, my co-host from the Greatest Movie of All Time podcast, Dana Duncan. Good evening. Call me Dana Belichick. <laughs> First off, fuck no, that ain't happening. Listen, I'll give uh, unless best. you're going to say that you uh, cheated somehow or like uh, put that out there. I ain't calling you Jack. At uh, this point, you got four. You're Chuck Null. <laughs> I'll give respect where respect is due. I did not think you had a chance at hell winning it. You sneak, snuck into the playoffs and then just blew everybody away. So congratulations to you, sir. You pushed all the right buttons. Well, thanks. It helps when the two players that you were hoping to uh, actually produce for you at the beginning of the year finally started right at the playoffs. David Johnson and... Uh, yeah. A popular show. So, yeah. <laughs> so, Johnson just got off the, the COVID. All of a sudden, he goes off. And uh, Evans started to produce and actually seemed to have some rapport with Tom Brady. So, those two helped carry me. And then, of course, it helps when you have a GOAT as your quarterback who's starting to really play like he's 10 years younger. So, uh, how does it feel to be a four-time champion? I don't think anybody's going to touch that for a while. Uh, probably not, since I think no one's won it more than once. No, it's one person has, but they're no longer a part of the league. Okay, well, th- for the rest of you, it's going to take you at least three years to tie me. So, I think you're right that it will take a while. But, uh, you know, looking back on it, two things. One is, is I had the, I believe, the fifth highest point total in the league and I had the second highest points allowed in the league and so that's why I had, to some extent I had a losing record I was probably more like a 500 team that just got hot at the right time so, so. your argument is that you were a mediocre point scorer with a really bad schedule yes okay just making sure so 
for those listening, the rule of thumb is as follows. Make the playoffs. And then who knows what will happen. Because um, I had a really good team in my office league and lost because Alvin uh, Kamara, Kamara went off for 60 points and Jeff Wilson went off for 30. So when it goes down sometimes, it's just a matter of getting into the dance and taking care of the rest. Crazier things have happened, and it is the mantra of this particular show because it's been a personal mantra of mine. You just need to make the playoffs. That's the sign of the good fantasy players. Winning the thing is so lucky sometimes, but making the playoffs is usually the sign of a good player. So more often than not, that's what I'm shooting for each and every season and after that, the rest is kind of gravy. If you can get a title, you had a really good three weeks. If uh, not, well, there's next year. Oh, Brooklyn Dodger fans. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when do you want to come on for your ring ceremony? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, is this going to be a ring I put on my finger or in my nose? <laughs> um, I think it's going to be a taint ring. Uh, no, I don't think I want to come on for that. <laughs> if I switched it to nipple, are you okay? Uh, with or without anesthetic. Well, with. I mean, come on, we're in a pandemic. Okay. Well, we'll I'll think about that. So, any mm. kind of a tapering on tapering I'm not interested in. I watched Roots when I was a kid. And you are not comparing and, uh, yourself to Kunta Kinte. Well, if you're going to put a ring in my taint, yes, because they circumcised him. When he okay, was like but that's like 20. 60% of the population. That's yeah. a little different. Yeah. But when you're 20? No. No. Okay. Knives? I've only... No. Forget it. Knives down there? Nah. It's okay. All right. Well, we look forward to having you back for next season, and uh, thank you for being uh, part of this season, uh, being a good champion and a good winner, and uh, good luck for going forward. Well, thanks, even though I know it's to some extent disingenuous. <laughs> your official duties. As the reigning commissioner, I do have to be somewhat conciliatory. However, as the host of the show, I have to also be a smack talker. So, you know, I have and to play is- both roles equally. And as my son, you say, fuck you, old man. (laughs) Yes. In equal measure. Yep. All right. Well, as Jimmy Pearsall said, I'd rather be lucky than good. Congratulations again, my friend. Thank you. (laughs) Take care. Have a good evening. I'll let you get on with the show. I got stuff I got to do before, so I got time to do our show tomorrow night. So, Adios. All right, and it is just the two of us again. So, with that, end of year top tens. So, which position do you want to start with? Let's do the running back one, because this one was a little surprising. All right, we'll count down from the top ten. So, we actually had a tie at number nine. The two Browns running backs, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, finished with 197.9. Josh Jacobs, 199.9. Number seven, Jonathan Taylor, 205.9. Number six, David Montgomery, 226.1. Number five, Aaron Jones, 233.9. Number four, James Robinson, 237.9.
Number three, Derrick Henry, 324.6. Number two, Alvin Kamara, 348.3. And number one, Dalvin Cook, 348.8. So which out of these kind of surprised you the most? The biggest surprise to me, I would say, besides the obvious, the two rookies, I'm kind of surprised that they ended up being in the top 10, especially Jonathan Taylor with how he started. But I would say Kareem Hunt is a huge surprise to me, for sure. And then David Montgomery is another one. David Montgomery just went on a tear like the last month, month and a half of the season. Seeing what he was doing was really encouraging. I mean, as a as a David Montgomery owner, you got to be super encouraged for next year because you've been waiting for this. This was the type of production that you thought you could get from him. I, I've said it a million times. You know, he was my running back one a couple of years ago. And, you know, he was disappointing. You can't argue how disappointing he was. But with Kareem Hunt, yes, you know, Nick Chubb was hurt for those couple weeks and everything like that. But even when Nick Chubb was there, I, I guess I just always felt like Nick Chubb was number one back and Kareem Hunt was number two. I'm, I guess I'm just surprised to see him in the top ten. There were a couple of games after Nick Chubb came back and then early on in the season when Nick Chubb was still healthy before that Cowboys game that Kareem Hunt was producing at a good level. And so it wasn't like he was truly the number two back. He was kind of a 1.5 model or a 1B in a lot of senses. And he did get a lot of touchdowns, a lot of goal line carries. So I think some of his value is a little overinflated due to the fact that they split time and that Hunt was healthy-ish all season as opposed to Nick Chubb, but I guess I'm more surprised that uh, they ended up finishing at the exact same point total more than anything else. Now, I do want to caution the audience, this is only based on our league's scoring settings, so these are not official standard scoring for anybody's league. We have mentioned before that James Robinson is kind of a surprise, but I want to say, after those first three backs... So Derrick Henry, Alvin Kamara, uh, Delvin Cook, the big drop off from uh, just beyond Jonathan Taylor to those three where you get like a two or excuse me, about 120 to 140, almost 150 point disparity. Basically, what you're saying is after uh, Jonathan Taylor, who only came on a little bit late. So the difference between Delvin Cook and Josh Jacobs this year was almost 10 points a game, which is extraordinary. Yeah, and I mean, we don't even have Christian McCaffrey in this. You know what I no. mean? Imagine where the heck he would be. He was off to an incredible start of the season. Do you, I guess I have another, a couple questions for you now, and I guess I'll start with Christian McCaffrey. Do you worry about his health moving forward? I do not in a couple of ways. One, uh, the the injuries were more structural, and when you're talking about structural injuries as opposed to soft tissue injuries, that's not as big a deal. I think he had an ankle issue, which I guess you could say is soft, is soft tissue-ish. It's not a quad. It's not a thigh. It's not a groin. It's not but a it hamstring, can, but it can it linger. Can linger. Yep. Um, so that obviously took him out for a significant portion of the season. And then that shoulder injury. And the way he runs, yes, that concerns me a little bit. But we saw that when he can come back in, he can be just as good. So I'm just... I think this might be one of those weird fluke years. I remember a couple of years ago, I think you and I had a discussion about Keenan Allen. Maybe it was with someone else 
where they were very concerned about Keenan Allen having missed two straight seasons or significant portions of two straight seasons. And I remember listening to the ESPN people basically say that a ACL injury and a lacerated kidney or spleen or whatever the hell he had were just freak accidents that could happen to anybody and that it wasn't a matter of his skill level or things that could linger not in the same way that like Will Fuller's had some injury issues the last several years where he'd get a hamstring issue and then he'd miss like four, five, six games. And that would be a hindrance to him through the entire season. It, it's not the same type of thing. So I don't worry about him as much because his track record isn't there. And he's taken a lot of carries over the last couple of years. So the one concerning thing to me would be his uh, total volume over time because he's a diminutive guy. But right now, if you're talking about it because he's still younger and he's not into the peak, quote unquote, of his career, uh, I'm not too concerned at the moment until we see maybe another year of um, some questionable injuries that may linger over time. So that brings me then to my next question for you, Derrick Henry. You know, he's led the league in carries now two years in a row. For me, he's kind of reminds me of a Marion Barber, you know, like a Punisher, right? When do you feel like would be a great time shopping a Henry type? Because with running backs like that, it's like, okay, they're really good one year, and then it just all goes downhill. And they don't last very long. You know, he had a slow start to his his career. You start, you could, I don't know if you would question if he was like a bust or anything like that beginning, but he for sure had a slow start to his career. Now he's one of those running backs that's really all about power, all about punishing people. And as much damage as he puts on to other people, you're still putting that much damage onto yourself as well. When do you think would be a time if you were a Derrick Henry owner, would you start to shop him? So I just had this discussion with Dana, uh, ironically so, over the weekend, and he seems to think that he's staying away from Derrick Henry for next season already. I think he is at peak value now, having led the league two years in a row, but I think he's got at least two good years of production. I don't know what his premium value is going to be because he doesn't add the receiving element like the the two guys that are ahead of him do. So that's a bit hindering. He has to rack up huge numbers of carries. But I also recognize that other than teams stacking the box, quote unquote, it's not like what they used to stack the box with, where they'd have four down linemen, then like four linebackers and a safety or something kind of creeping in there where you have just these gigantic guys. No, now you're getting like a nose tackle and you get a couple of taller but sleeker defensive linemen you get a couple of linebackers some teams will play some defensive backs so I don't think the punishment of the carries is as much as it used to be if you can say that that also being said uh I think this guy might be one of those weird freaks of nature that he can just possibly take that much poundage Because you saw him go through the playoffs like that last year, and he was just taking like 30 totes a game, and it didn't seem to upset him at all. There are just some dudes, uh, you remember maybe in your early years uh, with me, Ron Dane at Wisconsin, and how he used to just get stronger as the game would go along. You had to give him the rock 25 times a game before he'd finally break one. And that seems to be Derrick Henry's path. So I know I, I like to predict these guys a year ahead of when they're going to fall off. 
I would say if you're considering selling Henry, now is peak value time. But if you're in a championship mode or you have some aspirations of that, he's a guy that I would possibly hang on to and just kind of ride ride it out at this point. Because you're probably going to get a couple of years of production, but you're never going to get full value back for how much you waited on him and how much he's been able to produce. Because you're going to get a couple of those peak games yet. And the Tennessee offense isn't really going anywhere right now with those three staples in there. They've paid Henry, they've paid Tannehill, and they're paying A.J. Brown on his rookie wage scale, but still. I mean, and John U. Smith, to a certain extent, if he was healthy, is still there. So I still believe in the Tennessee offense. I don't know if Corey Davis is going to be back. We have a whole bunch of free agent questions going in, but I think this is one that if you, it depends on what type of team you have. The team in our league that has him, I would probably be selling him to a quote-unquote contender and seeing what I could get back. And then uh, last question for you. It has to do with the rookies here. Obviously, you'd probably... I think we can both agree you'd probably want Jonathan Taylor over James Robinson, correct? Better situation, better team overall, uh, if he gets the right quarterback situation. The one question mark is we don't know what Jacksonville is going to be once they get Trevor Lawrence. If that opens things up, it could be in the way that Joe Mixon played when he was healthy and with Joe Burrow that it actually frees up another gear. The only question I have is Jacksonville's willingness to stick on James Robinson long term. So I guess then it goes for my Jonathan Taylor question is, where would you take Jonathan Taylor uh, next year for redraft leagues? For redraft? Uh, so let's see here. Saquon's probably not going to begin the year. I think we're better off playing a name game of the guys that I'd probably take ahead of him. So Dalvin, Kamara, McCaffrey, it would depend on where Aaron Jones is. I'd probably take Nick Chubb ahead of him. I doubt Aaron Jones is going to be back with the Packers. Dobbins won't have seen probably enough unless he does something in the playoffs, so he's not ahead of him. I'd take Taylor over Miles Sanders. I'd take Taylor over Chris Carson. I'd take Taylor over Kenyon Drake. Again, I think it matters who the quarterback's going to be. I would possibly, depending on where Stafford ends up, I think I would likely take Taylor above Swift. I still don't know what the Bears situation is going to be. I would gravitate towards saying Taylor above Montgomery because there are some questions for me in Montgomery. As well as he finished the end of the year, they gave over play-calling duties to someone else for these last, I don't know, five, six weeks. And I don't know what the coaching staff is going to look like nor do I know what they're going to do at quarterback. And there's the odd question mark that David Montgomery has been pretty much the sole running back for a long time now since Tariq Cohen's been out. So if he comes back and he had, a, I think, a week two ACL tear, he could be possibly on his way back around the beginning of the year. Does that somehow throw a monkey wrench into the volume that Montgomery received? I would say that the Bears would be stupid to do so, but the Bears have been stupid for a long, long time. Uh, I would take Taylor over CEH. I would take Taylor over David Johnson. I'd probably take Taylor over Elliott right now. There aren't a whole lot of other guys. I'd take Taylor over Antonio Gibson. I'd take him over Damian Harris. I'd take him over 
Probably Saquon because we don't know when he's going to be back. That's that's another odd question mark. So I would say he's probably about the five or six range, give or take. Okay. All right. What one do you want to move to next? Quarterback's an interesting one in that it's not really that interesting. Uh, Patrick Mahomes finishes the top performer, but let's just go through it quickly. So Lamar Jackson, 347 points, sneaks into the top 10 with a good last finishing kick. Justin Herbert, 373.2 points to finish number nine as a rookie, sets all kinds of records as a rookie. Tom Brady, 374 points at number eight. Number seven, Ryan Tannehill, 375.35 points. Then there's a little bit of a gap, and we get the top six. Number six, Russell Wilson, 411.95. Number five, Aaron Rodgers, 427.35. Number four, Deshaun Watson, 430.1. Number three, Kyler Murray, 437.8. Number two, Josh Allen, 449.5. And number one, far and away, Patrick Mahomes, 469.2. So that means, on average, right now, the two guys that were drafted in redraft next to each other, Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes, the last two uh, MVPs of the league, had almost a like nine-point difference per game between them. So I think there's a reflection in where certain teams, especially in redraft, If you ended up taking Aaron Rodgers or Josh Allen, uh, waited a little bit longer, took Deshaun Watson, Tom Brady, you probably ended up in a better situation. I know Justin Herbert was a very popular uh, guy on a lot of teams that made the playoffs for redraft as well. That one's more of a production like James Robinson, where the cost value is so low because you could have picked him up off a free agency, uh, as I did after Dak got hurt. That was actually a godsend. Because Dak was putting up some huge numbers for me early on there. But uh, I think it's safe to say Patrick Mahomes is the number one dynasty quarterback for the foreseeable future. I mean, I don't know if we could say foreseeable future. Because what Dak was doing early on, I believe he finished quarterback 29 in most okay. rankings. In most rankings, and he only played five games. You know, that's incredible. He had some extraordinary circumstances with it, too, that the defense was not playing very well on top of all of the passing numbers he had to basically put up for them to be in-game. I don't know what he's going to be come next year, but they got a good receiving core. Post-injury, yeah. The question is always going to be the offensive line, but we've seen them be better the last few weeks with Andy Dalton, so it would lead me to believe that he's in there. The one other question I would have, we had two quarterbacks with over double-digit rushing touchdowns for the year, Kyler Murray and Cam Newton. We also had one quarterback who had eight touchdowns rushing, and that was Josh Allen. So that's kind of artificially kept them a little bit higher than they otherwise would be. And the only other thing I could say is is Pat Mahomes is throwing the ball 40 to 50 times a game because Kansas City just refuses to run the ball. Now, I don't think that will be the case throughout the playoffs. I actually think that they're going to run the ball a lot more than they did during the regular season. But, you know, how much does that keep the, the difference that much higher because even between Russell Wilson falling off towards the end of the season and where Pat Mahomes ended up finishing, you're talking about at least like a three point gap per game. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I 
what we have to give credit to what Josh Allen was doing as well. You know, he kind of had that. Well, he's had a roller coaster of a year, I'd say. You know, started really, really high midway through the season. I feel is when he hit a little bit of a low spot. We were kind of even the both of us because we barely were on the bandwagon to begin with. We saw an easy out. At least I'll speak for myself, I guess. At least I jumped off the bandwagon a little bit earlier in the season, thinking that he was regressing back to kind of what he was. But what he's done over the course of the last month, nobody can argue with. You know, Josh Allen is a big time player, and he's got a big time wide receiver with Stefan Diggs. And you got to imagine that that chemistry and that connection only gets better with time. So. I don't know if I'm there yet with saying Patrick Mahomes is the far and away guy. I think, you know, he's top dog right now for sure, but I can see Josh Allen building off of off of what he did this year into next year. But then, you know, you talk about the eight rushing touchdowns. I don't think he has eight of them next year. I think Zach Moss gets a little bit more goal line work and I think he's gonna take away a lot of those rushing attempts. Josh Allen, his offensive coordinator is a hot commodity for head coaching gigs. Now, it remains to be seen whether he ends up leaving or not, but I do think that would throw a monkey wrench in. And which Bills offense are we going to see? The one towards the end of the season that was spreading everybody out, that was throwing the ball all over the yard, that sort of thing? Or are we going to see a slightly different version over the course of time? If we get late-season Josh Allen that was lighting the world on fire— Certainly that he could make a run at the number one, but I'm saying if you're starting a dynasty team and you have to pick one quarterback, you're taking Pat Mahomes because he just doesn't have bad games. I don't think he had a single game under 20 points all season. And his highs are just so extraordinarily high at the same time. So I I just think that if you're looking at the guy that more than else that you set and forget, he's it. I think Kyler could reach those peak levels. Dak could reach those peak levels because they have some running ability. But I am personally just fine with Cliff Kingsbury exactly where he is since I own no Cardinals. You say that because I own quite a few Cardinals. You're a hater. That's all you are. Uh, With Kyler, my only worry is injuries, you know, because now he's suffering one right now. He had one earlier in the year, and we saw that he's kind of not the same player when he's not able to rush around a little bit. I think the arm gets better. I think the passing game gets better. We're going to see if the Cardinals do something with their coaching staff this offseason because especially last week, just being on Twitter and reading a whole bunch of stuff, the Cardinals and Cardinals fans were not happy with Coach Kingsbury last week. So I don't you think they make a move, but it's something to wonder about. You cannot afford to dick around with a franchise quarterback of this caliber. Like, it's criminal how bad Cliff Kingsbury's offense is and underutilizing Kyler Murray's best assets. If they don't end up making the playoffs, and again, I think they will because they're playing a Rams team that isn't even with Jared Goff. So they would have to have one of the worst all-time performances in order to lose that and not make the playoffs. But still, like... Come on. Kyler Murray was limited in those few games when he couldn't run around because he basically had to break down the play that Cliff Kingsbury had run because it was a shitty play. And then he had to make some magical thing happen out of his ass. So that's the difference in, in this is that if he has to be in the system, the system's shit. If he can work outside of the system, then he can create magic. And 
to me, that's kind of Rodgers-esque of that late-era Mike McCarthy zone more than anything else. Or even, to a certain extent, like Russell Wilson. And I'm putting him in that category because he's proven to me that he's also kind of that magical. Uh, let's Before we get to wide receiver, let's go over to tight end just quickly. So, number 10 in our league scoring, Jimmy Graham, 117.1. Number nine, Janu Smith, 118.4. Number eight, Rob Gronkowski, 125.9. Number seven, Mike Gesicki, 128.6. Number six, Logan Thomas with a great end of the year, 132.7. Number five, Mark Andrews, 136.4. Number four, TJ Hawkinson, 137.8. Number three, Robert Tanyan, 141.8. Number two, Darren Waller. 217.9, and number one, far and away, the best tight end in fantasy, who would have finished as wide receiver three in our league scoring with 278.3 points, Travis Kelsey. What he did this year was absolutely amazing. But uh, before I go any further, Mr. Rob Gronkowski, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for how I talked about you this summer. You put up a hell of a year. I think Tom owes you an apology as well. I will apologize to Mr. Gronkowski in person if and only if we can party afterward. Because I think that might be one of the few times I'd actually be willing to let my freak flag fly is uh, with with the Gronk. Now, that being said, he could smush, smush me into a small grape. He is a large, large man, and I am not. At least in one particular dimension. Anyway. We were wrong on Rob Gronkowski, is basically <laughs> what I'm saying. Um, the, another- gap, the gaps between Darren Waller and even Robert Tanyan, who had double-digit touchdowns, I think, for the year, is huge. I mean, you're almost getting like nine or eight and a half to nine points a game difference from Travis Kelsey to Robert Tanyan. I mean, it's by far, you know, there's, it's a tier of Travis Kelsey's in a tier of his own. I think you could put Darren Waller even in a tier of his own, and then it's kind of everybody else. Well, and even saw with George Kittle coming back this weekend that he's still a consistent performer, even with a third string quarterback. So I think I'd put him in that conversation, but those three are by far uh, surpassing everybody else. Jimmy Graham, does that shock you at all? That's shocking to me. It is and it isn't. The amount of two touchdown games that he had this year has really elevated his level. But you think about it, he didn't even average, uh, I want to say, like seven or more than eight points a game for the entire year. And the difference between Travis Kelsey and Jimmy Graham is uh, more than 10 points a game. So it's, it's just like the disparity level. We've talked about how bad tight end was where you got past the first couple of names and there was nobody you could could consistently bank on. I mean, we talked about the fact that Robert Tanyan basically was more predictable than others because he had a greater chance of falling in the end zone. You think Robert Tanyan puts up the same better numbers next year? Or do you think it's kind of a one-off? He is supposed to be back with Green Bay. Green Bay is going to run a lot of uh, multiple tight end sets. They threw at least four touchdowns, I think, this year to Mercedes Lewis. So I think there is room for that. The only question to me is the guy who they drafted in the third round this year that 
kind of a glorified fullback, tight end, H-back type of role. Uh, if he comes back and kind of steals some of that, but that remains to be seen. I do like him as long as Aaron Rodgers is there and that they're continuing to run this offense, which might actually be, uh, albeit crazier, they might actually be better next year because I think that A.J. Dillon, with the way he ran against Tennessee, really gives them a kind of Tennessee-like look. And Aaron Rodgers is a lot better than Ryan Tannehill. And Devontae Adams is kind of better than A.J. Brown. Only kind of. Just a little bit. Well, I think he's a more polished version. A.J. Brown's in that, um, probably more athletic and a freak, but Devontae Adams is probably the most skilled. So let's go to wide receiver then quickly. So number 10... Adam Thielen, the often mentioned because he happens to be on one of our rosters, 218.3 for the season. He finishes as wide receiver 10. Number nine, Allen Robinson, 219.2. Number eight, Mike Evans, 219.5. Number seven, Justin Jefferson, the only rookie on this list, 236.4. Number six, DK Metcalf, 247.2. Number five, New Hopkins, 248.8. Number four, Calvin Ridley, 253.9. Number three, Stephon Diggs, the current uh, receptions leader with uh, over 120 receptions this season, 278 points total for the Buffalo wide receiver. Number two, Tyreek Hill, 312.4 points for the season for the Kansas City wide receiver. And then Devontae Adams, 314.3 with one of the most magical seasons of all time, After his performance, his hat trick of touchdowns on Sunday Night Football, he has now tied both Randy Moss and Chris Carson, or excuse me, Chris Carter, as the only performers to put over 100 catches and 17 touchdowns in a single season. Yeah, what he did this year is absolutely fantastic. I can't really say enough about how far he's come in his career. You know, his after his first couple of years, a lot of people, not me, a lot of people, though, were calling for the Packers to cut him and not even resign him. You know, he was dealing with drops earlier on in his career. Now I feel every time that Aaron Rodgers throws a ball his way, it's going to get caught. He's one of the most dependable, one of the best route runners, one of the most high Q or high IQ players at the position in the entire NFL. Like. Devontae Adams is a freak, and I think for sure that he's the best wide receiver in the NFL. The way Aaron talked about him after Sunday night's game, I I thought was extraordinary, and he put him in that conversation with Chuck Woodson as the best guy he's ever played with. So I I think that's... Rodgers is not one for faint praise, so you've got to take a little bit of notice when that comes in. But are there any other big surprises on this list to you? I don't think there's anything super that surprises me. I think having two Vikings on there is surprising. I think Justin Jefferson being the one rookie wide receiver that had the best year, I think that's a little surprising too. I think if Dak was healthy the whole year, I think there'd be a little bit of a different conversation because I think CeeDee Lamb would be up in this list too. But we need to give some props, goddammit, to Allen Robinson Always has the worst quarterbacks, but he always is super consistent. Always finishes towards the top of the of his position group year after year after year. I'm very interested to see, especially because I'm a Allen Robinson owner, but 
even not, like I'm really interested to see where he goes this offseason if he stays in Chicago, if he goes someplace else. But Allen Robinson, for me, need, uh, needs a little bit of respect. And then for me, another one, Mike Evans. I thought that Tom Brady coming to town would kind of be the end of Mike Evans, and it kind of turns out that those two have really you know, built a nice rapport, especially over the last couple weeks of the season. You'd argue, you'd probably say that he's his favorite target. So, you know, Mike Evans being as high as he is, that one is kind of surprising to me as well. Well, and I think I was advocating earlier in the season to possibly trade him that his highest value days or his peak was already done. But Uh, he's about to match, if he gets over 1,000 yards for this season, he'd be the only other guy other than Randy Moss to have seven straight 1,000-yard seasons to start his career. At a certain point, you kind of think he's quarterback-proof. I mean, he's played with some really crappy quarterbacks, Mike Glennon, Jameis Winston. So, I mean... Josh McNown, I think, was also in there. So it's not been a great list of uh, grade-A quarterbacks. Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams, we pretty much expected that. They just balled out and they produced. New Hopkins is in there again. Tyreek and Devontae had, like, really special seasons by their own standards. But if you're going to, other than the glaring exception of Justin Jefferson, who kind of, like, came out of nowhere, but after about the first... I don't know, six games or so, you could kind of see this one coming. Yeah, the absolutely. two big ones that are surprising to me are the guys that would have went somewhere between rounds eight and ten in redraft leagues, and that's Stefan Diggs and Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley produced at a level that was close to Julio Jones, and he really started to do that, we talked about it the last couple of weeks, without Julio Jones, which was impressive. The other one, Stefan Diggs has been so good with Josh Allen, and I can't imagine any two franchises happier with a trade than Buffalo and the Minnesota Vikings. Like, as disgruntled as Stephon Diggs seemed to be in Minnesota, he seems to be the, I mean, I think I've now heard it like four straight weeks on national TV broadcast of how great a teammate he is in Buffalo. And at the same time, Justin Jefferson comes in and he is an all-world beater already for the Vikings. So I think they both kind of won out in the end in that one and got what they needed out of those that pick swap or the, the two assets, essentially. So you know, it'll be interesting two, to see. Those two actually kind of don't surprise me. You know, if you would have told me that Calvin Ridley was going to be the clear-cut number one for most of the season, I would have bought, and you would have said, do you think he'd be in the top ten? I would have bought that for sure. And Stefan Diggs, you know, having him be the clear-cut number one, he had a, you said it yourself. He had 120 receptions this year. He didn't even have 120 targets last year. So the opportunity really jumped up for him. And yeah, him and Josh Allen have really built a special rapport. I guess I understand where you're saying, like where their ADP was and where they ended up. Most definitely, they're but mild I, surprises. I wouldn't yeah. say they're like great okay. surprises, but I, I, I'm saying from where the expectation was to begin the year, because you and I were not high on Stefan Diggs coming in. And after about the first two or three weeks, we started looking at each other and we're like, I think we got this one wrong. I think a lot of that had to do too was with Josh Allen. We didn't have a lot right. of faith in Josh Allen as well. We know who Stefan Diggs is. I mean, we, he's been terrorizing the Packers for a couple of years now. Like we know who Stefan Diggs is. I think a little bit of that came from Josh Allen, but you know what? You're right. I, if you're not in on a guy, you're not in on a guy. And we really weren't in on him all that much. And yeah, he really shoved it down our face. So congrats to Steph, Stefan Diggs. 
like over and over and over again. <laughs> so let's take a quick look at the defenses for the year. Number 10, surprisingly enough, New England, 116 total points. Number 9, Kansas City, 122. Number 8, New Orleans, 128. Number 7, Tampa Bay, 136. Number 6, Baltimore, 137. Number 5, Miami, 139. Number 4, Washington, 140. Number 3, Indianapolis, 163. Number 2, Pittsburgh, 172 points. And number 1, the Los Angeles Rams with 175 points. Any of these stand out to you? I would say Washington is one that jumps out to me. I mean, I thought they would be an improved defense, but I didn't think they'd be the fourth overall defense. Miami, I think, is another one that's kind of surprising to me as well. But other than that, not too much. You know, New England has been known for their defense. It's just their offense is so shitty. So you'd probably think the defense would be a little bit higher if they weren't on the field so much. But other than those couple, nah, not too much surprise. After the first three or four weeks, you could basically tell when a defense is going to be pretty good. And I think we realized pretty early on. I think I called Pittsburgh as being one of the top defenses pretty early on. Now, they lost some steam, obviously, late with a lot of the injuries they had. So I certainly hope they get most of their defense front back because Devin, uh, is it Devin Bush? Was the guy that, yeah, okay. I couldn't remember it. I think there's a Devin White and there's a Devin Bush, and I couldn't remember yeah, which yeah. was which. But Bud Dupree also for Pittsburgh. I, I think if they were to have those guys, they'd be a much scarier proposition than they are right now for the playoffs. That being said, we only had three teams that averaged over 10 points a game for the season. And so I think that there is a disparity once you get them, but how many people were drafting Indianapolis and the Rams as being one of the top 10 defenses this year? Like, there were a few that would go on Baltimore. I think I was high on Baltimore being a top defense. A lot of people drafted New England, and there's a pretty big gap between uh, some of those top teams and even New England. And Washington was kind of matchup dependent. Miami is one to watch, though. I think Miami's very close on their defense because their secondary can really play. And if they can put it together or they get another um, pick or two, maybe if they miss the playoffs or something, and I think they have Houston's first-round pick, so they could very easily add to their repertoire and really make a good run next year. I, I think Miami's a scary team, even for uh, as well as Buffalo's been playing right now. They got a lot of salary cap money to play around with, too. You know, yeah. They, they, they're going to they're gonna do all right. They're going to do all right. But who doesn't have a Houston first-round pick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. That's fair. All right, so... Instead of our weekly good, bad, and ugly calls, let's get to the good, the bad, and the ugly calls of the year. So first off, my good call of the year, I had early calls on Indianapolis's defense, on Robert Tanyan and Logan Thomas. If you look back at some of my early articles, I had uh, high hits on both of them and finishing within the top 10 at the position. Those were guys that were free agents for a long time during the course of the year that I think, uh, at least for the first few weeks, people were kind of missing on and probably wish they had gone and picked them up. Uh, also, I got to pat myself a little bit on the back. Uh, at the beginning of the year, my team, I did not think I was so high on but somehow I finished the number one seed with eight different guys missing at least three games. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, uh, good job, Tom. 
uh, manager of the year. So what was your good call of the year? Uh, I think pretty early on I had Allen Robinson being, you know, again, another top wide receiver. He proved that time and time again. If he ends up with a in a good situation with a good quarterback, I can see him putting up solid numbers yet again, maybe being a wide receiver, um, you know, in the top five. So, But Allen Robinson, I'm going to give a pat on the back for myself on that one. Yeah, you've been an Allen Robinson truther since the beginning. So uh, my bad call of the year, saying that I should, or that uh, the team that had Aaron Rodgers should trade him before the start of the season, you were going to get uh, max value for him at that point. And yeah, we're talking about the probable MVP. That was that was not good. I, uh, as a Packer fan and owner, not a good look for me. So what was your bad call of the year? I don't want to play this game anymore. (laughs) (laughs) My bad call. And yeah, this is just bad. This isn't even ugly yet. My bad call was Deshaun Watson is not a top five quarterback. (laughs) And he finished in the top five, especially, you know, with his last couple weeks throwing to, you know, a brick wall. And he finished in my league number four. He finished number four and, you know, he was 20 points away from the sixth spot, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself a pat on the back for Deshaun Watson not being in the top five. Yeah, so my ugly call of the year, and this is going to look uglier by the day, but there was a week <laughs> where I said that Jonathan Taylor was almost cuttable. Oh, a guy that I basically said was somewhere between four and six for next year. Yeah, that was not a good one. Yeah, well, at least you didn't trade him. Uh, my ugly is David Ro- or David Montgomery is barely rosterable, rosterable, and Josh Allen isn't a top five quarterback. I was I was pretty hard on Josh Allen early, but if you recall and if you remember, I apologized to Josh Allen. You have on on multiplications. So, uh, but yeah, that one I was dead wrong on, and I'm really happy to see him being as successful as he is in Buffalo, especially with Stefan Diggs. I will say the David Montgomery thing, you were right before you were wrong. Because you did say that I, you know, I thought I my David Montgomery was going to be the better of the two backs between him and Josh Jacobs, and I would have had uh, Montgomery over Josh Jacobs. But now, now I don't think that Montgomery is very good, and he hasn't looked great for the Bears. So I'll give you a little bit of an edge on that one. But that's not nearly as bad as us looking back at our preseason predictions. This is where it's going to get really ugly for at least one of us. So I went through and I made sure to listen to our preseason prediction or our preview episode. And uh, the three predictions of the bold predictions that we each made. And then the bonus one about our league uh, going into the season. So number one, my bold prediction of the year, which you said I was crazy to make at the time. And frankly, I was a little bit. CEH will have more points than Christian McCaffrey. Well, yes, I will say that I got that right, but it's with a huge asterisk. Uh, CMC did not play most of the year. He finished as running back 50. CEH finished the year as running back number 18. So he wasn't RB2. He just wasn't nearly what you would have drafted where I had him in the comfortably in the running back one territory. But I'll take a slight, like, uh, victory circle, like, um, stand in place and twirl around 
If you want that moral victory, you take that moral victory. For me, well, my, my big one's coming though. <laughs> for me, my big one. For me, um, I had Jalen Rager going over a thousand yards. He finished with three eighty one. Um, little did we know that Carson Wentz would fall off the face of the earth. Jalen Rager also dealt with a little bit of injuries as well earlier on in the season. I'm really interested to see how he comes out next year, but dead wrong on Jalen Rager having over a thousand yards. I'm pretty sure he missed like half the season. Yeah, he so, was out for a like, while. What my big concern with him coming in from college was that he uh, was going to have the same injury issues that plagued him during college at TCU. And some of that kind of proved out. I'll be curious to see what the Eagles quarterback situation is going forward and what happens to Carson Wentz. I don't know what this team's going to be. And so my status on Jalen Rager is completely undetermined. I have no idea what to think about him because I haven't really seen him be a part of the offense yet. So it's kind of a hope and pray right now because even with Hurts, like his passing numbers aren't as great. So if anything, you're getting Hurts and you're getting Miles Sanders, you might get a tight end or two. But I I think the offense has to restructure around what Hurts does as a quarterback going forward. All right, my number two prediction from the preseason. David Johnson will have 1,200 total yards and double-digit touchdown. He missed four games, but he had 885 yards total, seven touchdowns, and finished as running back 23. I will say that despite missing the four games, he did finish as the the 23rd running back, and the last two weeks, he had 21.8 and 30.4 in the weeks that mattered, including in a championship game that helped propel Dana to the win. I understand that, but he was also the only one on the offense. Like, who else are you going to give the fucking ball to? But this I get it. You should have been right. utilizing him all year. He yeah. proved his capability. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't even want to argue about David Johnson. I'm going to still be up. <laughs> I don't want to argue about him. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if I'm the sole driver of the David Johnson bandwagon. I'm in on David Johnson, he proved it again. He's going to prove it again next year. Uh, when he's the only receiving option because they had to let Will Fuller walk and Brandon Cooks died on the field. That's my prediction. All right, anyway. My prediction. DJ Chark was going to have 1,500 yards and double-digit touchdowns. Uh, He finished with 706 and five touchdowns, but he himself also was dealing with a couple of injuries as well. But that's the story of DJ uh, Chark's career so far. But, yeah, dead wrong on that. situation was pretty pitiful most of the season. Thank you. I appreciate you sticking up for me. (laughs) We'll see how he is with uh, Trevor Lawrence back there next year. I I think it might be a little bit improved. So my number three was my best call of the year. I will take a complete victory lap for it. Uh, He probably would have been comfortably inside the top five had the Seahawks not slid towards the back half of the year. But DK Metcalf will be a top 10 wide receiver. He finishes as number six. I got that one completely on the nose. Um, this one for me, and I, this, I felt this was easy for me as well. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster, I said that he'd have less than 125 receiving or 125 receptions, 1,500 yards, and 10 touchdowns. Uh, he finished with 91 receptions, 766 yards, and 8 touchdowns. You know, he had a better year than I thought he was going to have. That's for sure. Touchdown-wise, too, especially. It was that he was doing a lot of short routes, and so he wasn't getting 
a lot of the intermediate or deep-level targets. Ben and the offense was not opening up the play until basically the end of the Indianapolis game this last week. So this is one where it's a wait and see. I like the fact that he was targeted a lot, but I don't know if he's going to be with Pittsburgh. I still think he has some value, and I think he's a talented wide receiver. So I'd like to see what situation he is in next year. I'm going to say this is not at nearly as bad as your other two calls. This one's kind of open. I'm not going to give you too much crap for this one. All right, and then my last one, my bonus one, which was about our league. I uh, called for Rogers Rabbits, who ended up finishing, I think, with uh, the number, uh, what would it be, seven overall seed for the year. Uh, ended up, I said they would win the league. That was clearly not the case. Well, you I said that they would win my division. They were, I'm pretty sure, dead last in my division. That being said, he did deal with a lot of injuries. Michael you know, Thomas, Saquon Barkley, yeah. That he dealt with a lot of injuries early. Uh, he's going to add a really good couple of pieces through the draft now to an already pretty talented team. Yeah, he's now, got his first-round pick, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, it'll end up being the number nine overall pick. So, I mean, it doesn't really hurt all that bad. If anything, it's an early second-round pick, but... You got to do what you got to do to try to win. And uh, sometimes it doesn't always work out for you. But looking back on the season, uh, there are a lot of buttons I push that I wish I didn't push. But, I mean, that's what Dynasty is, you know. And then you look at Dana. There are a lot of buttons that he pushed that I wouldn't even thought or even wanted to risk to push. And it ended up working out for him really, really well. And it's just what happens. But if I were to assess that particular trade, uh, I think it's a little open-ended depending on who he ends up drafting in that spot and what Gerald Burrow turns out to be uh, after he comes back from his knee injury. But I think you might have won that one, to be honest. So I'm not too worried about it. It's the other pick um, trade that you had that might end up being... See, and that one doesn't... In, you know, in the really quick scheme of things, yeah, maybe. But what I like about Miles Sanders is that he's more than just a running back. If they can get him incorporated into the receiving game, I just don't see Jonathan Taylor, unless Phillip Rivers is his quarterback yet again, I don't see him being that incorporated into the passing game. I also like the longevity of Miles Sanders a little bit more than the longevity of Jonathan Taylor as well, just because of all the miles, one, that he put on at Wisconsin, and then two, just the way that he runs. I just think Miles Sanders will last a little bit longer. But yeah, I mean... I'm not I'm not even dumb enough to say, you know, next year I'd take Miles Sanders over Jonathan Taylor, but I, I'm hoping that the longevity and he gets a little bit more involved in the passing game and Jalen Hurts turns into a decent quarterback that can run that read option, maybe get him a little bit the ball into space a little more. But yeah, I mean I can see from the outside looking in, yeah, Ethan, you did a stupid ass thing and maybe giving up the pick was dumb, but at the end of the day you gotta go for it, and that's what I did. So All of these trades, usually dynasty-wise, can't be completely determined for at least three years. So the jury's out on both of those. I'm just giving the impression in the moment. I could be completely wrong at the end of it. Absolutely. No, and I completely understand where you're coming from, too. You know what I mean? Like, Ed even gave me crap at the end of it, you know, saying, oh, I'd love to do business with you again, knowing that I gave him a gift Earlier on in the season, I didn't need to trade Noah Fan and just get a third round pick in the end. You're new to the league. I felt like I was doing a little bit something nice for you. 
And then you kind of come and say that is a little bit of a backhanded compliment. But, you know, at the end of the game, I don't really at the end of the day, I don't really see Ed winning a championship in the next five years anyway. So I'm not really super concerned about it. The fish that I'm looking at are you. I'm looking at Dana. I'm looking at Derek, too. He's his he's coming up. And then I'm, I'm looking, looking at, at everybody because everybody is competitive. And I will also say to our loyal listener, Ed Martinez, that uh, <laughs> Ethan did doubt another team about six weeks ago that I said, this guy's got a chance and uh, somehow ended up as the champion uh, on the early part of this episode. So uh, I wouldn't say what uh, he thinks is necessarily going to come true either. I'm not Miss Cleo. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Uh, oh, Swami. Just saying. All right, so since we probably looked back enough, uh, bef- we're going to do a lot more analysis as we go along for the rest of the off season here. But we're uh, going to start at least looking forward to the NFL playoffs. We'll transition the show a little bit away from the fantasy side of things and start actually talking about regular football and then maybe give you some fantasy implications because I think there is a lot to be gleaned from the playoffs. So when normal fantasy shows stop, we keep going and we keep giving you extra content for your uh, looking forward because this is a long-term league. All right, so Ethan had to go, and uh, I guess it's just us now, but I did promise you a look ahead to Week 17, so we're going to do that now. So first up, my game of the week is the Packers at the Bears. I know that a lot of people are not necessarily paying attention to this game. They're not necessarily interested, but this is a de facto playoff game for Chicago, And the Packers have a lot to play for with the number one seed and the only potential buy this uh, playoff season for the NFC going forward uh, on the line. So that one is currently favored by Packers uh, minus five and a half. I also have that as my upset of the week. Uh, Neither of us got our picks right last week. He did get it on the spread, but the Dolphins won that game late in kind of inexplicable fashion. But I have the Bears upsetting the Packers and pretty much uh, making the NFC a topsy-turvy event. Uh, As far as underrated studs of the week, going outside the top 10, we think we'll finish in the top 5. This week I have Justin Herbert against Kansas City. Again, this is a game that Even Patrick Mahomes is not going to be playing. I don't think Kansas City is going to be entirely motivated to do a whole lot. They already have a loss on their record, so they can't go for perfection. They already have the number one seed locked up, so that's already in the bag. I just don't see them putting forth a ton of effort. I think Justin Herbert wants to go out on a good note and give his coach something to look forward to in the offseason. Nick Chubb, being my underrated stud of the week at running back, Pittsburgh has already announced that Roethlisberger isn't going to be playing. Mason Rudolph is going to be starting at quarterback. It doesn't look like Pittsburgh is going to be doing a whole lot. I think they're going to be trying to rest up, especially given the fact that their bye weeks, uh, the mini bye after their Thursday game, as well as their regular bye week, were already eaten up by COVID issues, not even on their own team. So I would expect that uh, they're going to rest as many people as possible. Cleveland, on the other hand, really needs this game. And when Cleveland needs a big game, they need their two running backs to really perform well. So I expect Nick Chubb to get into the end zone a couple of times against kind of a watered down Pittsburgh defense that's trying to rest up for the playoffs. Underrated stud at wide receiver, Corey Davis. A guy that's currently going outside of, I think, the top 20, uh, oddly enough, at projection. 
Uh, he's playing Houston this week. I expect Tennessee, who's been somewhat uh, up and down at times this season, to really have a bounce-back day. He didn't, I think, register a catch even against uh, Green Bay last week, which was kind of surprising given uh, how high I was on Tennessee going into that game. Robert Tanyan against the Bears. I just think he has one of the better possibilities to get into the end zone. That being said, I don't think that there are a lot of underrated tight ends this weekend that uh, you aren't already playing if you happen to be in a championship game. Defensive stream of the week, I'm going to take New Orleans versus Carolina. I think Carolina's offense has been kind of up and down. They've been turnover prone the last couple of weeks. They really turned it over uh, the last two against uh, both Green Bay and Washington. New Orleans is really trying to lock up that number one spot if uh, Green Bay falters. And so I think they're going to come out guns blazing. They're going to blitz a ton uh, against Carolina this weekend. And I would expect them to have a rather um, big day so if they are available, that would be one that I would look at as a possible stream. Long shots of the week. Guys going outside the top 20 for projections that we think might finish in the top 10. I have C.D. Lamb. He's a guy that's actually put up some decent numbers the last couple of weeks where Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup actually put up uh, bigger numbers at different times depending on the game. But I think C.D. Lamb has a possibility to really go off against the Giants because he plays a lot of the slot receiver. The Giants are really heavy on the outside cornerbacks, and that's where they play well. I would expect Amari Cooper to actually have a bad game playing against James Bradbury this weekend. But Dallas has a real shot at winning that division somehow and ending up in a playoff game next week. So I would expect that Dallas is going to come out with a lot of fervor. I don't think the Giants are really involved all that much right now. And you would say that the favorite is Washington, but Washington's starting their like fourth different quarterback this season. So I don't give the benefit to them. Dallas, on the other hand, has a proven starter and a, a quality backup in Andy Dalton, who's been playing pretty well the last couple of weeks. Dallas's wide receivers have really adopted pretty well. Or adapted, I guess. Not adopted. Gosh, why did I why did I say that? Uh, the last one that I have is J.K. Dobbins, uh, Baltimore against Cincinnati. David Johnson just ran all over Cincinnati. Um, James Conner actually had a decent game against Cincinnati, I think. And so I would expect, or maybe it was Benny Snell. I don't know. That was a Monday night game that I barely watched uh, because Pittsburgh was kind of out of it and it was kind of a weird game. But I really think that uh, with Baltimore's playoff life on the line that they're going to lean heavily on the guy that is likely to be their top starter going into next season that uh, will probably be drafted as a running back two but might finish as a running back one for next season, J.K. Dobbins. I expect him to have a huge game trying to get Baltimore into the playoffs. So that is your Week 17 preview. Very short, very sweet. We will be back next week to start previewing the playoffs as we kind of transition away, as I mentioned before, from the fantasy implications more into the playoffs. But we have a few things uh, prepared for you. Um, number one, uh, we are going to be doing a postseason fantasy draft. I will have more details on that one next week, so stick around for that, as well as some other fun things planned. So I just want to say a simple thank you to everyone who was a listener for this season one, who was an active participant, all my Dynasty League members, uh, my co-host, Mr. Hamilton. Um, I can't thank all of you enough. You've been through us or been with us through a very crazy ride, and there's just a lot more to come, and I'm looking forward to it. Unfortunately, it didn't finish with a championship for me, but 
you know what? Uh, you can't win every year, and frankly, I haven't won any year, so it's not that surprising. Uh, especially where my head was at going into this season, I uh, did a lot better than I thought I would. So that being said, thank you again. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's to a great 2021. We'll see you on the other side. This podcast was mixed, produced, and edited by Thomas Duncan. It is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our technical provider and distributor is Anchor FM.